You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. Today's scripture reading will be Haggai 1, 1 through 12, page 791 in your pew Bible. But first, let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read today and your word is proclaimed that we may hear with joy what you have to say to us. Amen. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat but have never have enough. You drink but are never full. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the hills, and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had, had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. It's the word of God for the people of God. Guys, for having me this morning. Uh, this is my second time uh, being here at First Presence, so that means the first time I was here, I didn't do half bad, right? <laughs> so thank you guys for having me back. And brother, thank you for, where's the guy? Thank you for your message. I mean, you brought the whole gear out, man. That's, that's amazing. And so I love the illustration that you gave. And so praise God for your, for your faithfulness to that. As I am under the weather, I have been battling a cold for the past couple of days. So pray for my strength this morning as I deliver God's word with accuracy, but also with power by his grace. Uh, God is good. So I want to start with this. When I was in middle school, my principal began each morning with announcements. He would welcome us back and then proceed to lay out the list of things happening uh, around the school. And he will conclude each announcement with this phrase, keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, he wanted us to know, the students, that no matter what was going on in the school, your number one priority was keeping the main thing the main thing, and that was our academics. Because if those 
fell by the wayside if those were not done with excellence and with care and with focus, it would mess up everything else. You couldn't sports, you know, you couldn't go on to the next grade. And if you did go on to the next grade, you weren't ready for what was ahead. So he wanted us to always be focused on the main thing because failure to have focus can cause negative consequences in our lives. Our text this morning is a reminder of just that. What are our priorities in life? Israel has forgotten their priority. They're in the process of rebuilding their lives and they have gotten distracted. As a result, they put their relationship with God on the back burner. And they begun pursuing their own interest. So as a result, God being the loving father that he is, sends his prophet Haggai with an announcement. And like my principle, Haggai exhorts the people of God, Israel, to keep the main thing, the main thing. This morning, I want to look at three things as we keep this phrase in mind. First, centering our hearts on the Lord keeps us focused on his will and plan for our lives. Secondly, failure to prioritize the Lord's kingdom leads to chaos and unrest in our lives. And then third and last, godly leaders help set the example of how we are to respond to God. And with that said, saints, let us pray. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we get a chance to just talk about your goodness. God, help us to see our hearts. Help us, God, to refocus our attention on you. 2020 is freshly freshly here. We are a month into a new year, God, help us to let this year be one of focus, to look at you, to be closer to you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I do want to say this. If I'm saying something real good, y'all talk to me. Say amen, nod your head, thank you, Jesus, because I can be energetic. It may not seem like it now, but I can be. So y'all feel free to talk back to me. Amen. God is good. All right. So let me dive into our story real quick. So Israel has found themselves back home. They've spent 70 years in captivity under Babylon, under Persia, under Gentile rule because they have failed to keep God's commandments. They have failed to be devoted to God. They have failed in the covenant God has given them. So to punish them, God sends them into captivity for 70 years. For 70 years, they have been in this place they don't want to be. And God, because of his faithfulness, has sent them back home. King Cyrus of Persia has given them permission to come back. So in so biblically in this narrative, a few things are going on. This is where the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament intersect. 
but also the prophet Zechariah is prophesying along with Haggai as well. So there are numerous witnesses going on at this time. But church, catch this. Despite our disobedience, despite the mistakes that we make, despite the fact that we can set our own lives back, God is faithful. God wants to restore us. God desires to restore us. God does not let us sit where we are. Israel is a picture of what God is to all of us, to his children. Even when we make mistakes, he desires to restore us. And Israel is living out this promise of faithfulness that God has given them. So as they move back, God wants them to rebuild everything, the city, the temple, which is the central place of worship. So in this context, the temple is a representation of their relationship with God. It's in pieces. It's being rebuilt. And so God is saying, rebuild the temple. And this is a metaphor of what he's saying to them spiritually. Our relationship is being rebuilt. Take care of it. Make it a priority. But something happens. The people get distracted. Ezra 4 records that the natives of Israel, the neighboring peoples, intimidate them. They begin making it difficult for Israel to rebuild their home. They're threatening their relationship with God in this intimate way. But instead of persevering in that, they stop. The people stop rebuilding the temple. So as a result, God sends Haggai to get them back. I want to ask this question. How many times have we, either because of how we feel or because of how we rationalize something, how many times have we outfought ourselves from doing what God wants us to do? How many times in our own lives have we done that? God's pulling on our hearts to do something. But because of a little opposition, because of how it feels at the moment, because it's slightly inconvenient, we say, you know what? Maybe not now. I can come back to that. That's where Israel finds themselves. Centering our hearts on the Lord keeps us focused on his will and plan for our lives. I want to read verses 1 through 4 again. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, my house, lies in ruins? Notice that the people didn't stop working. They stopped working on God's house and they turned their attention to their own house. 
Catch that. They began working on their own stuff. The word time here in Hebrew means this, the season. They literally told themselves and convinced each other, now is not the, now is not the right season to do what God wants us to do. Now is not the right season to obey. Maybe we should do something else. And church, guess how long they did this? 18 years. They put their relationship with God and obeying his word on hold for decades. That's 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 crazy, isn't it? (laughs) But haven't we done that in various points of our lives? Haven't we sometimes said, you know what, God, not right now. And in our, in, our, in our minds, we think, I'll come back to it tomorrow, next week, maybe, maybe in the next season. But sometimes, doesn't that season become years? Man. It's not convenient right now. Maybe, maybe in our own lives, um, God wants us to love our spouse. God wants us to treat our spouse the right way, but no, we ain't vibing right now. So I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna be as nice this season because we ain't vibing right. She's talking to me the way I want her to, so I'm not gonna be gentle to her. It's, it's not the right time. Or maybe we see that maybe minorities in our country are having a hard time, but because things are changing so fast, changing too much, maybe it's, it's not the right time. Maybe we should be generous with our money or with our time or generous with the things God's given us, but no, not the right time. It's inconvenient. I don't want to do that. It's too much, too much responsibility. How many times have we done that? We cave in to convenience. And what's easier? Instead of obeying God, despite the awkwardness and the struggle. And y'all, truth be told, obeying God is hard. It's not easy. Because oftentimes, God will call us to do things outside of our comfort zone. He will call us to do things despite the fleshly tendency of our hearts. Paul says we are in a war between what the flesh wants and what the spirit wants. So guess what? There are times where you never really do what you want. (laughs) Right? It's a struggle. And I believe one of the reasons why we as Christians fail to fully see God's presence manifest in our life is because we get easily off track. We just get easily off track. We focus more on distractions and our own comfort than Christ. When I was a kid, my father would take me and my brother out to play baseball. That's how 
um, I got the skills by God's grace to play uh, college baseball. And so one time my dad took us out, I was maybe about, I was maybe about four or five, my brother was like nine, and we're walking back home and this, this stray German shepherd chased after us, right? And my brother who was on a bike outran the dog, so the dog was like, I ain't studying him, he's gone, right? But, <laughs> but I'm walking with my dad and so he comes to us and I freeze, and I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. And so my dad has an aluminum bat, and he raises the bat, and the dog stops in his tracks. It's almost like, uh, I know what's about to happen, right? And he stops and looks at my dad. He looks at me and barks. Looks back at my dad, <laughs> looks at me and barks. And my dad says, son, just walk home. I was like, huh? He's just like, walk home. I got you. And in trepidation, I'm like. <laughs> but I noticed the further I, I noticed I kept walking and the dog wouldn't run after me. And as I noticed he wasn't running after me, I got more courage to walk on and catch up with my brother and go home. The point was, had I focused on the distraction, I probably never would have made it home. I think God's saying the same thing to us. Distractions will come. Things that life will bark at you. <laughs> things that life can, it can intimidate you. You can be, you will be asked to do things outside your comfort zone. But God is like, if you focus on me and listen to me and trust me, you will make it home. You will make it to your destination. You will make it to that place I have for you. Second point is this, uh, failure to prioritize the Lord's kingdom leads to chaos and unrest in our lives. I want to read this again. Haggai says, now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies, that still lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for you a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all on their labors. Verse five, God tells them to consider your ways, or as the Hebrew kind of alludes to it, think about this road you're about to go down. Do you want to go there? <laughs> you know, whenever, you know, whenever I got into it with someone growing up, it'd be like, bro, you really want to go there, <laughs> right? 
God's like, you're about to go there. In fact, you are there, <laughs> right? You don't want to travel this road. How many times has the Lord had to get our attention to let us know that, hey, son, hey, daughter, hey, family, this road you're on, you don't want to be on it long. You don't want to. Verse six tells them you have sown much and have harvested little, but you eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a, into a bag of holes. Y'all neglecting God has consequences. Man, you could be on the job and all of a sudden you get fired. You could be in their relationship with the wrong person and they break up with you, leaving you with a wounded heart. Or maybe it's a season of emptiness because you've been ne neglecting the Lord, yet you have everything you want, the house, the wife, the children, the seed note, the retirement account, the 401k, right? You have everything you want. You got the house. You got the rental property. Yet still, something is empty. I'm missing. There is a hole in my heart. Man, maybe it's because we have failed to make God our priority. Maybe it's because we have failed to make him the imminent thing in our life. And when I say this, I am not being, I am, this is not the prosperity gospel when I say this. I'm trying to be faithful to the text, all right? So I want to clarify that before I say this. But here's what I will say. Y'all, sometimes neglecting God and disobeying him leads him to withhold blessings in our life. And this text is an example of that. And God's not transactional, so this is not what I'm saying. Like, okay, God, I obey you. Okay, I have what I want. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying God's a genie, but what I'm saying is when we don't obey, when we don't walk intimately with our Father, He withholds blessings in our lives. But He does that for a reason. He is a loving Father that loves us, His children. And sometimes to get our attention, he has to break us. <laughs> he has to hurt us where we know it hurts because he knows this will get their attention. And Israel is experiencing this. We've all experienced this. God has to hurt us so we can incline our hearts to him. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 says this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. <laughs> nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises everyone whom he receives. It is discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom, whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which I have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. 
Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. God loved Israel and he loves us so much that he will hurt us, block us or halt our success. <laughs> if he knows it will be for our eternal benefit. And I praise God for that. Verse eight, Haggai says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. This term go up literally means to go up into God's presence. It's almost like God is saying, my child, my beloved child, come up to me, be in my presence, glean from me, cultivate this relationship, follow me. But the people neglected. And so the Lord says, you look for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and hills on the ground, the new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. The word ground here is used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. It's a lot of times that God used the word ground. And each time it refers to the Lord's ownership. Saints, we own nothing. God owns everything. He desires that we be good stewards of what he gives us. God can and does bless us with material things. But they don't satisfy and he wants us to know that. And whatever he gives us materially, materially, he gives so that we can be good stewards and to serve others and glorify him with what he's given us. But even more so, the gift God gives us is himself. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. God is telling Israel and us, I'm withholding blessings from you because I want you to experience the ultimate blessing and that is me you neglected me for decades look at me the one that brought you back home the one that sustained you while you were in captivity the one that brought you out of Egypt and gave you a land of your own the one that's going to bring my Messiah into the world to save you and everybody come to me Because God knows that our deepest need as a human race is not material stuff, but to experience his love. And he proved this love by sending his son, Jesus, to be like us, to die for us, to pay for our eternal penalty of, for sin. 
hurts. We need this more than any blessing. Can we just tell God, thank you for Jesus? Thank you, Lord, for your son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because in him we have full access to our God. Israel was looking to rebuild the temple. But guess what, church? Ultimately, Christ is our temple. John 2.21 says this. He is also our high priest. He is also our perfect sacrifice. He is also our jubilee, our freedom. Don't we get nice things in this life? Praise God if we do. But ultimately, Jesus is the blessing. And Ephesians 1 says that through him we have access to all spiritual blessings. Everything we need in this life, we have because of Christ. Because God has freely given us access to him because of his grace. Lastly, godly leaders help set the example of how we are to respond to God. Haggai one twelve says this: Then then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. In this text, there's three leaders. In this text, there's three leaders. There's Haggai the prophet that God sent. And let me say this, Haggai's prophet, y'all, was six months. (laughs) Six months. Most of the prophets in Scripture, their, their ministry was years. Haggai preached for six months, and the people responded. <laughs> That's a lesson for all of us. Y'all, sometimes it doesn't take long for God to get out of us what he wants to get out of us. Sometimes ministry doesn't have to be 20, 15, 30 years. When I say that, I mean vocationally is what I mean. So let me clarify that some more. Let me clarify that. Sometimes we feel like we have to do something for years and years and years and years for God to get fruit out of it. Just be obedient to me. Just be obedient to me. Whether it's six months, a year, 20 years, 30 years, just follow me. Go where I'm taking you. Be a good steward of the season that you're in. Obey me and watch me work. Watch me get the fruit out of your life. We don't have to manufacture any success. God does it if we just obey him. Amen? God does the work. We don't have to manufacture it. For six months, Haggai did this. And guess what? The people responded. So that's the first person. The next two are Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. 
These three men were the leaders of Israel at, at, at this time, and all three men responded to the Lord. Haggai responded first by going. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua heard the voice of Haggai, and guess what? They responded. And in suit, the people responded. And the text says that they obeyed the Lord and they feared the Lord. What humility and responsiveness of Zerubbabel and Joshua. How they responded to God is the antithesis of Israel's history with their leaders. In fact, that's one reason why God sent them into captivity is because the people leaders would not respond. But these men responded and the people followed suit. So whether you're a pastor, whether you're a parent or a supervisor on your job, godly leadership is important. God is looking for men and women that will lead for his glory and that will show the world his love, but also a gospel witness wherever they go. God is looking for leaders. One of the things, so Haggai is quickly becoming one of my favorite books. And the question I ask myself as I read this book frequently is, whose house am I building? Am I building God's house or God's kingdom or my own? Am I trying to exalt, exalt the name of Christ or am I trying to exalt the name of George? I had the chance of getting breakfast with one of my old friends from college uh, this past week. So when we were in school, um, he was uh, student body president, uh, and he surprised all of us by going to the army. <laughs> I mean, he went to the army and and became an officer. Since then, he's moved back. You know, he has a wife, kids now, um, and and. And, and he's a supervisor at a major company in Memphis. And we were talking about leadership. And one of the things he shared with me was, is that in the Army, being an officer and having a team under him, he learned the value of leadership. Because he was like, George, if I didn't do what I was supposed to do, people, people's lives were on the line. He shared stories with me about um, being, in, being in Afghanistan and being under fire, uh, being shot at. He shared stories of how they trained for chemical warfare one time, and it was a training, so, so there were no lives on the line. But in the training, he made a mistake. And the mistake in the training meant a person practicing putting their lives on the line to where, to where he had to expose himself for the sake of everybody else, right? And so... Uh, but clarifying that he had to pick somebody <laughs> that would expose himself. And because it was practice, he didn't get hurt. But my friend realized 
Yo, this is serious. And he was like, as a leader, I set the tone for my team. I work the hardest. They have to see me working hard. And I have to inspire, motivate, and propel them to be the best I can be, to be the best they can be, so a job can get done. And that even means avoiding distractions. That's that word again. He said, no matter what is going on in the army, no matter what's going on at the base, no matter what's going on among the natives of the people there, even with bullets flying around me, there's a job to do, and it must be completed. And not only that, but as we complete it, I want people to make it home alive. And there's one question I have to ask. Was this mission a success or failure? Yes or no? No excuses. No pressure, right? No pressure, right? The key to being a great leader is, do I have the ability to push and inspire those around me and to achieve the goal despite distractions and sometimes even danger? For 18 years, Israel was, got sidelined and got distracted. But the response of the leaders is what allowed the people to follow suit. I praise God for godly leaders. I praise God for parents, for pastors, people like Scott in his absence. God bless you, brother, for allowing me to be here. I pray God's with you. Brothers like Mac and others. I praise God for godly leaders that help show us the way. That even when we get off track, by God's grace, the Lord sends them to help, to help get us back into alignment with him. As I come to a close, I want to highlight Zerubbabel some more. Because of his response, God says this in, 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 in one of the last verses of, of Haggai. He says, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. A signet ring was a sign. And as Rubabel, I am giving you authority. That's important because that, I say that because the same way he obeyed the Lord's will, Christ obeyed the Lord's will. The same way he inspired people to build the house of the Lord. First Peter tells us that Christ and that house is the church. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up of the spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices to a holy, to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Church, I am so glad for Jesus that he takes us broken sinners, 
to have a one-way ticket to being eternally removed from God's presence. And he saves us. He puts us all together. All these nationalities. Races. All these different groups, cultures, ethnicities, all these things. Despite our sin, he's bringing us together. And he's making one house. All these different people. He's making us to a house by his glory that we may proclaim his name to the ends of the earth. As I close, I want to pray this morning for a few things. As I mentioned, this is a new year, 2020. And let this be a year, church, all of us, individually and collectively, build the Lord's kingdom and not our own. Let's take this time to build what matters and not be distracted by what doesn't matter. So first, I want to pray that the Lord stirs our hearts to be closer to him. And if any of us are living a life with misplaced priorities, may the Lord lovingly redirect our hearts. Let's repent and turn back to him this morning. But then lastly, for the person that may not know Christ this morning, if something's tugging on your heart after this sermon, we're after this worship service, I think it's God calling you to himself. And he wants you to know that he loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and to pay for the penalty of your sin. He lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you couldn't die. So you could live a life empowered for a loving God. His work for you is everlasting. My prayer is that you accept him and respond in faith. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.